You know, people jokingly say, take a picture, it'll last longer. <laughs> you know what? I wish that was the case uh, when you made that wonderful dessert the other night. Oh, me too. That did turn out really good, didn't it? And I did take a picture with my phone and sent it to our daughter. Oh, yeah. How did she reply? Well, she said it looks so delicious, but little does she know I tweaked the photo. Yeah, well, you know what? It seems like Photoshop is taking over everything. If we don't like <laughs> it, we correct it. And then nobody really knows so what true. you started out with. So true. everyone and here we are celebrating what people love to do creatively by giving them a voice. I'm Rod Jones. And I'm Angie Jones. Welcome to the Thought Row podcast. We invite you to subscribe wherever you listen and we are available virtually anywhere you listen to podcasts. No matter what you do creatively, this is the podcast for you. And you know what? Please tell a friend about Thought Row podcast. Yes. It would be really nice if you did that. So what are we going to discuss today, Angie. Well, today we're going to be speaking with Michael Farnham. He is a photographer. You know, here's something interesting about Mike. Mike and I have three things in common. We were both in the Navy. We were both on submarines and we both pursued careers in photography. Oh, interesting. I think I think it'll be interesting. Yeah. But how about your quote for this week? Okay. So here is our quote for this week. A good photograph is one that communicates a fact, touches the heart, and leaves the viewer a changed person for having seen it. It is, in a word, effective. And that quote is by Irving Penn. It's very applicable to today's conversation. That's, that's what I thought. I love Irving Penn, especially his fashion work, because I always looked at that first. His portraits are incredible. Yes. And his still lifes. He was very, not only could he do people, but he was excellent at doing, at photographing still lifes. So true. And you know what? I found out, and I'm sure, I don't know if everybody knows this or not, but Irving Penn also did the photography for the Clinique cosmetic line. He did photographs, of course, for fashion, but for Vogue magazine. And he, I guess he had a lot of other advertising clients to pay the bills, I suppose. Yeah, he had one of the most successful studios in New York. In fact, it was a multi-floor studio. Oh, wow, cool. And, and he'd have one set on one floor, another set on another floor, and he basically would go up and down the stairs, kind of like Whistler used to do <laughs> kind of, yeah. when he painted. But that's very efficient. That way you don't have to break down sets and, you know, and keep all the balls in the air, basically, when you're juggling. I think mostly what he was doing, he'd hit that floor, he'd talk to the client, tell him how everything, how wonderful everything's going to be. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, he may direct the shoot, obviously, and then he'd head to another floor. Probably. But that's a great quote of his. Yeah, I thought it would, it would apply to our theme today for our show. Sure. Yeah. So, okay, now it's your turn, Rod. We are ready for Rod's motivational moments. Yeah, dun da da dun. <laughs> yeah, we, we need music. Dun da da dun. Drum roll, please. <laughs> okay, this is mine. Most everyone has captured a memory by making a photograph, which, when posted on social media, is just as fleeting as the thought itself. Boy, isn't that the truth? Especially. If you're posting on Instagram, that lasts for a while. But if you, if, on Twitter, 
it's gone in seconds. Yeah, milliseconds. Yeah. You, know, very, you, you may have thousands of followers, but they don't all see it. Just a few people see mm-hmm. it as it flashes up, unless you have somebody that just dedicate or is follow you and look at every single thing you post. Right. And those images, like thoughts, I think, sometimes you have this feeling of someplace that you were or had mm-hmm. been and how much yeah. you liked it at the time. And if you took a photograph, you may remember it. But if you didn't take a photograph, it could be pretty fleeting. And if it's on your cell phone, on your mm-hmm. mobile phone, mm-hmm. I mean, people have thousands of images on their on their mobile phone. So true. Well, we were talking about earlier how people don't necessarily scrapbook anymore. And remember that movie we're watching the other night? It was, of course, an old movie where it was a film noir, I think. Mm -hmm. And the mother was keeping track of somebody's success, her son's success. And she was doing newspaper clippings and she'd clip them out and paste them into the scrapbook. And I thought, you know, we don't do that too much anymore. A scrapbook is on people's cell phone. And the, the nice thing, too, like if you have a actual printed photograph, it's tangible. It's something you can hold in your hand. Mm -hmm. You can put it into a scrapbook or maybe into a drawer and you go through that drawer and you pull out all these memories Mm -hmm. and you hold them in your hand and you look at them. I mean, it may be a napkin where you scribbled something, you know, on your first date and you, you know, years later you find this napkin and say, oh, remember when you and I went to this restaurant and mm-hmm. you were so nice back then? <laughs> I remember, yeah, when you were, when you were, <laughs> when you were really nice dating then. and courting. Yes. I remember actually when your sister and I and our daughter, we were going through a box for your aunt Jenny and she had napkins and menus and very cute notes that your uncle had sent her on a bouquet of flowers and things. And it was like, oh, my gosh, this is the sweetest thing I have ever seen. Yeah, and it was it was a thick book. It wasn't just it was a pamphlet. A thick book. It and, was gorgeous, And it had though. so many things in there. Mm-hmm. If, if I remember right, she may have even had some pressed flowers in there. I think so. I think so. Well, I remember the first time I met you in the studio, and shortly after that, you photographed me for one of your assignments. I remember that. And I definitely remember mm-hmm. the model agency that sent you over. Mm-hmm. And I remember her saying, and she goes, hey, you know what, Rod? I think this model is very special. She's also a really sweet, loving human being. And I think you two are going to hit it off yeah. fabulously. Yeah. She was, she was, her and I were very close and she was a very special lady that was just very kind, very, I don't want to say mothering because that's a little over the top, but she was just like, she was a very good friend that would look out for your best interest. You know, one of the things I really appreciate about how she handled various models and especially how she handled you, but she was very careful on the go-sees. That's what they call when a model goes out to see a photographer for a job, but she was very careful where she sent you. I mean, she was and she she would give me a heads up. She's like, now, you know, because I was like very, I think, green at the time as far as not being very worldly. And she would take me aside and go, "Okay, you need to like heads up about this and this might happen. And this is what you need to do. And so she would tell me because like I I think I was a little clueless. Well, little did I know that she somehow figured out that ultimately we would end up being married. Yeah, I think she might have. Well, she must have known you really well and known my personality. I mean, I knew her for a long time. We used to 
book a lot of models through her. And, you know, she always did a great job for us. But to have, never once did she ever say, this is a model you should meet. She's very sweet. She's very kind. She's very, she's really a decent person. Mm-hmm. And I think you two are really going to hit it off. Yeah. She never said that about any other model. You're the only one. Oh, wow. That was really sweet. Her and I were, I want to say close, but it it was a working relationship, but she was just very kind to me. And I really appreciated that. Well, she obviously knew something. I guess so. Now you are going to talk about... Well, I was going to say next. Yes. It's interesting how valuable black and white photography has become. Isn't that the truth? I mean, 20, 30 years ago... There were some photographers, of, of course. That well, were if you famous. were Ansel Adams and you yeah. were shooting for the Sierra Club, right? You you became highly collectible. But even then, you didn't get paid a lot of money for a good black and white print, mm-hmm. an artistic print, I should say, a mounted artistic print. And now they've become highly collectible. They're in art galleries. Mm-hmm. You you and I have talked about this when we go to an art gallery. I like to go look at the art. You want to go look at the paintings and things like that. Yeah. Yeah. And then, of course, I want to look at the photographs and everything. And then I'll make you go through the photo gallery. And then it's always super duper crowded in there. It's always crowded. And, yeah. I, you know, I don't I guess I don't necessarily maybe it's because I spent so much time as a photographer yeah, looking probably. at another photographic image just doesn't excite me. Mm-hmm. Although I have to say the guest that we're going to have coming on, mm-hmm. I see his work on Instagram and it's it's really quite good. In fact, I want to make a comment about that. When you go to a, a photography museum or a gallery that features photography, you're going to actually see the print as the artist intended it to be. It's very depth, has a lot of depth, a lot of visual to it. What were you going to say? I was going to say that is such a good point, actually, because when you post things online, sometimes they don't translate exactly how you want. So there's, good yeah, there, point. there's no way. I mean, even if you manipulate it and you put it on, I mean, I feel the same way about a painting. You can see a painting in a gallery and it just gives off really special energy. It's almost like listening to music mm-hmm. at a concert or if you're listening to music on a CD. That's our live, right? Or, yeah, yeah, live, live is, live is far superior. Oh, yeah. You're going to get all that energy and the feedback and everything. And I think a silver print is going to be far more interesting than something you see on Instagram. It, it just has yeah. to be. There's no getting around it. Right. So, so if you have an opportunity to see any kind of photographic art show, by all means, do it. Stop and take your time. Take a look at those images. Because even if you saw that image that somebody posted on social media, you're going to see it a whole different way. So true. Okay, so let's go on and hear what Michael Farnham, the photographer, has to say. Yeah, this will be good. Mike, welcome to the Thought Row podcast. 
We always enjoy chatting with photographers. I know I especially like talking to photographers. Yes. Hi, Mike. I agree. And I know our listeners will enjoy hearing what you have to say. Well, that's good. And good morning, Rodney G. I'm glad to be here. And it's a pleasure for me to be here and present a little bit about my background and my interest in photography. Perfect. Yeah. Well, we're, we're excited to hear it. Yeah. You, you know, Mike, this is, I always felt this was kind of interesting because we met each other on social media and have actually known each other for quite a while. But you and I actually have three things in common. We were both in the Navy and we were both on submarines and we were both photographers. At least I used to be a commercial photographer. I don't do that anymore, but you're still active doing your photography. Yeah, that was of interest to me. And when we first met, we, I think our first dialogues were actually drilled down towards photography. Then the, the Navy conversation came up and my background in the Navy takes me back many decades and going through the Navy, I, I had several different commands, but my first command was with being on board a nuclear powered submarine. Uh, we were based originally in the West Coast and then we transited to the East Coast and ultimately deployed out of Scotland. Oh, and wow. I did six deterrent patrols out of Skyline, up, way up north, up into the Arctic regions. Kind of a fun experience. It was the height of the Cold War. So it was, uh, you know, people think that, well, it's no big deal. You're After all, you were just on a submarine. But there certainly is a lot more to that story than it, I think ever been told. I can relate. Yeah, boy, can I relate to that? Although I was on the West Coast and uh, several decades ago, and we had more impact in dealing with Vietnam and that sort of thing. But I know Angie's got our infamous question. Oh, yeah. Our question we ask all of our guests, which is, what did you have for breakfast this morning, Mike? Oh, well, I just recently purchased a waffle machine. And as it went, I made some homemade waffles this morning for breakfast and turned out quite good. So it was really good. And I had that with some fresh fruit that I started uh, from a dietary standpoint, going to a lot of fruit daily to keep my doctors happy and keep me healthy. Well, that's a good idea. And it's also delicious. Who doesn't like a waffle with fruit on it, right? Yeah, yeah. Uh, we we had had fruit today. We did have fruit. But we always ask this question because we're trying to figure out what we should eat. Yeah, we say this. It's true, though. I mean, after a while, you're like, okay, we're having the same thing every day or the same two things. So it's kind of like, okay, let's expand here. And what's funny is, is now when we talk to people and we have interviews with them before we have a podcast, they're excited to tell us what they had for breakfast. So it's <laughs> it's turned into a thing where it's like they can't wait yeah. to say. Yeah, no, it's good. That's yeah. great. It turned out pretty good. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Well, your breakfast was healthy. You know, we know you've taken some pretty amazing photographs from various parts yeah. of the world, which I always find very interesting in some of the locations. Tell us how you came to be in those locations. Okay, it's going to be kind of interwoven over time. So let, let me begin by saying that as one of my earlier parts of my career, th- throughout my career, I have added photography to uh, my daily work for a number of years. As far as my formal education goes, I have degrees in engineering, civil engineering foundations and uh, geotechnical engineering. And people always ask, well, then why are you a photographer? And the the answer is a lot of my work throughout my career always involved photography. There's there's Mm -hmm. all kinds of occasions where you may be on a site somewhere that something's happening, something's going on or just simple progress. And 
people's minds are not going to remember what that camera is going to remember. So, you know, I began the photography trek through my career with cameras and I had, I've had a number of informal teachings and, and courses that I'm taking. I'm recently joined up with Professional Photographers Association and working on getting certified through their organization as oh, a great. professional Wonderful. photographer. But I'd say in the last 15 years, I've worked a, a several different types of assignments and a lot of my work has been contract work. And I had a contract with a defense organization where I worked in Central Africa for a number of years, spending time in, in the Cameroon, Equatorial Guinea, Gabon, and Congo area. And a lot of that work, albeit it was security related, et cetera, but the need for the camera was there. And some of the photography that I, that I have shown and don't really sell the images because they're more, I call them the vanilla work images, really depict a site, a place, a time, an event that you don't normally, you wouldn't normally see, I would say, in the United States. No, and it's interesting to me, some of those images that you've taken, I mean, you're here you are, you're on a job site and you're being compensated to document it, let's say. Mm-hmm. But in your mm-hmm. off hours, this is what I've learned from chatting with you in your off hours, you go wandering off and then you find some really cool locations or scenes that just kind of right. pop up in front of you. Yeah, and I, and I do that on purpose. I mean, I... You know, working for the State Department as a, uh, as a contractor, you you get deployed to do what they call site surveys, and they try to assign people to certain parts of the world. But sometimes, as the needs come up and people uh, can't deploy, then you know you may be the person to fill a slot, and you may wind up going to places that really were not on your itinerary that you would ever travel or site or or Department of State location that you would ever travel to. So I, I had a couple of countries that I knew if I could get there, there was going to be some really good architectural interest. And as a student of, I wouldn't necessarily say architects, because I think every good architect needs an engineer. There are some incredible <laughs> yeah. architectural yeah. structures around the world. And oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I'd say the most notable that, gave me goosebumps when I was uh, shooting the images it was in the country of Azerbaijan, which, as we all know, is a former Soviet state. I, I'd say to a certain extent, probably still is, although uh, in, in, in real world terms, it's not looked at upon that. But there was an architect that had, her, she was famous for designing some incredible off the wall structures. And unfortunately, she passed away far too young in her in her days. And she only had about, I think, 30 structures that were built, maybe more. I don't want to depend on that. But the one in Baku, which is the capital city of Azerbaijan, is called the Haydar Aliyev Center, which, as we know, he was the former governor of Azerbaijan, favorite of the Soviets. But it's an incredible structure. And I had been to Baku a number of times before that, but just never could get the schedule to work. And in one year, I was there in the middle of winter, and the conditions were poor. You know, we had snow and mist, fog, everything. And I had worked it out with the hotel I was staying at to actually have me escorted up there one night to stand by with me while I did as, as complete of a photo shoot that I could get done. And I was really trying to target an hour, but I unfortunately ran over. And the gentleman stayed with me on at the site for, we were there for three and a half hours. And I probably shot, I don't know, six, 700 frames. Wow. And, oh my goodness. 
That's very impressive. Yeah. Well, I mean, it just, the energy's there when you're there. I mean, it's like right in front of you. You don't see structures like this. And I would encourage people in their photography travels is to try to seek out those types of opportunities. It may not be everybody's interest, but those are the opportunities that's going to yield something to you. So after the photo shoot, I was kind of frozen because of the temperature and the snow and you know, got back to the hotel and I actually couldn't wait to, to get to my laptop to download. I, I spent half the, that night downloading all the images and looking at them. And a number of times on social media, I've, I've posted uh, not all those images, of course, but uh, a number of them. I, I've seen, I've yeah, seen some of them too. and they're very impressive. And I always felt that you were incredibly fortunate to not only have the opportunity to photograph there, but to understand and know the history of the location and what you were able to achieve. I mean, the, you know, congratulations on that. That was pretty good. Angie, I think you've got a question coming up. Yeah, I do. I'm going to go digress a little bit when you guys were talking about how you had all of these things in common with mm-hmm. Rod, especially mm-hmm. the submarine part, which is kind of mm-hmm. not, it's not very common to have two people that have been on a submarine. It's not, I haven't. We haven't mm-hmm. run into that anyway, but tell mm-hmm. us about that photographers. Your, yeah, that are photographers. Mm-hmm. So tell us about your time in the Navy and if that gave you an opportunity to start photographing. I would say probably not so much in a large sense of it. Mm-hmm. The submarines is a confined space and <clears throat> there's very few opportunities to film anything. My role in, in submarine duty was navigator. So I did. I did, when we were out on patrol, did get the opportunity to come up to what they call periscope depth and and do sweeps where you're coming up and you're looking around. And sometimes you may have uh, an assignment to take photos because the periscopes can be equipped or equipped with photography equipment. So it's kind of it's not something that you can you can do manually or anything. Everything's done almost automatically. And. He could do a sweep and take photographs or whatever the area of interest is. Mm-hmm. Seemed kind of boring. So I started out in navigation. I stayed in navigation. I was on the submarines until the, I would say, the early mid-70s. Yeah. And from the, there, I came out and I came back to Washington, D.C. and really still hadn't figured out what I wanted to do. But I did start going to college. and. Mm-hmm. And in doing so, I used the, well, we had, I had the uh, veterans benefits, I'm sure, Rod, just like yours. Yeah. But I did find that going through school, that, you know, it was absorbing a lot of money and, and that I had to kind of get myself on planet Earth. So I ended up going to school down in uh, Norfolk, Virginia. Yeah. And in, in doing so, I, I re, realigned with the Navy and found a special warfare unit down at uh, Little Creek. Well, it's all called something totally different now. But back then, in the 80, early 80s, it was the Little Creek Amphibious Base. And I got assigned into special Navy Special Warfare. And I was in a boat boat units. And nowadays, they've been up to called Special Warfare Combatant crew, Crewmen. But back then, my job still was navigator. But we did have deployments. And in during those deployments, there was a lot of opportunity to do photography work for all sorts of reasons, fun reasons, or sometimes you'd be deployed on 
uh, doing something and you had to, your, your deal was to go out and film locations and things of that nature. So oh, that worked out, that worked out pretty well. You know, I, I want to make a quick comment more about myself. When it comes to Periscope <laughs> photography, we used to do a lot of surveillance work, especially mm-hmm. off of Korea and China and Russia and places like that. And mm-hmm. I did, I actually went, the Navy sent me to a two-week school, submarine periscope photography mm-hmm. at Ballast mm-hmm. Point. And so I did take a lot of photographs, a lot of mm-hmm. Polaroids, but mm-hmm. all hand mechanically done, not not using the sophisticated equipment that you ended up using. But mm-hmm. I thought that was, I thought that was and there's very few people that can say they photographed out of submarine periscopes. And I guess yeah. that's another thing that both you and I have in common. Yeah. But I want to ask you, most every photographer can remember the first photograph they took. Which one are you most proud of? Well, I can't actually tie down date, time, and location, a specific, but the one photograph that that I have recollection of, and then coming through life, these were all taken with a Bell and Hal camera that my dad was kind enough to teach me the, the fundamentals on how to operate it and focus it and put it on a tripod and put me on a, a one of those old milk boxes so I could stand up and look out the uh, sights and take pictures. The one that really comes to mind, it's just a, I like the picture myself. It's a pretty plain, simple picture, circa 1962, of the Manhattan Bridge in New York City. Oh, and so iconic. Nice. It is an iconic photograph, not because of anything other than the fact it shows you that that clip of time where New York City had a whole different skyline. I mean, you could do, you know, overlays of New York City today and look at all the massive changes. And of course, the bridges are still there, so you can still orient it. But I, I always had an affinity for gadgets and steel, structural steel. And I don't know, for some, we were on one of those ferry boats that goes around New York City. And I just, it was a calm day. And I just, I, I just blind luck on getting that shot. That's all I can say. I've seen that photograph on Instagram yeah. that you posted. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really worth taking a look at if you follow mm-hmm. or check check Mike out and we'll give information later on that, but they should check mm-hmm. out that image because I think it's a pretty, pretty special and it's iconic, but it's also, it's when you see it, you just go, okay, that's New York. It makes you feel it's very New York. New York. That's so true. It's, so you, you hear have, Frank singing in the background. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> that's it. Exactly. Okay, you've mentioned that you like architectural photography, but mm-hmm. many of the photographs that I've seen of yours seem to lean towards nature or environmental scenes. Can you tell us a little bit about that? Most of my work work photographs are not publishable, especially a good chunk of them through the State Department. You know, we have to, when we go out for site surveys and we're filming some exterior architecture, mostly interior stuff, you, you have to get the blessing of the facility security officer every day of every picture you take. And you don't really get a lot of uh, approvals to use them outside of whatever the work use is. And those generally go into a secured server network that you can't access. So, but I do like just getting in, you know, getting in the car. I do go out with a purpose. I do do recon as to where I want to try to get to the next photo shoot. I, I used to just get in the car and just stop along the road somewhere and just start taking pictures. But 
I, I wanted to get myself a little bit more formalized. So I do do recon before I, you know, take the time to go out and shoot. But one of the reasons you do see a lot more of the landscapes, the sunrises, the sunsets, et cetera, the black and whites, those are what I call my fun pictures. And I have a lot of them. Not to make up for what I can't post from either the defense industry or the Department of State. It's just that I can't show them. I mean, anything that would have any kind of a security device or showing anything yeah, that, sure. yeah. that they don't want seeing, you just can't publish them. I was in China a year and a half or so ago, and we were at the general consulate in Shenyang, which is about several hundred miles northeast of Beijing. And we were there for a week, and I did a lot of filming. And I, I did some external filming, but the weather conditions there were very poor and very cold. But I actually did get permission, and I've, I've run them a few times of the exterior of the building. And I, and I like that kind of architecture. I have done some architectural filming, but I, I don't, you know, when I'm in business for profit, that kind of photography is not something – for me, it's 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 high on the list. It's going to drive my sales. You know, what, what I sell is more of the old uh, pictures that we just talked about with New York City and yeah, other sure. places oh, yeah. and the the beach beach shots. Uh, I want to. I'm sorry to interrupt you, but I want to make a comment about the State Department. The one, well, I'm sure there's many good things, but a very good thing about your job with the State Department is it actually gave you an opportunity to go to places like you said earlier. People just would never typically true, go. I mean, it would not be on their travel list. They would be more right. inclined to go to Rome or Paris or London. Mm -hmm. But you've gone to more remote places, which has mm -hmm. given you the opportunity to photograph mm -hmm. things that people don't typically mm -hmm. ever see. Yeah. Yeah. I would say during, I'd say the last 15 to 20 years, net total, I've been to about 30 quite 40 different locations worldwide for different types of contract engagements. Yeah. I think that that makes your work unique just in that respect because everybody's running around the world right now with their cell phones and taking selfies and pictures of themselves in front right. of mm -hmm. the Louvre or whatever, but yeah. you're getting, right. you're photographing in environments that are very interesting and it shows in your work, which I think is kind of exciting to to see it. It's just not another, I was there I was image, there photo, yeah, and yeah. I was there photo or a happy snap or a, here I am standing in front of the Eiffel Tower. Oh. You're, you're getting in there where people don't just typically go. I know Angie's got a question for you that's kind of related right. to this. When did you become passionate about photography? Well, when I started young, I, I did. That was my initial go into photography. And as we, as we talked earlier, you know, I was kind of hit or miss on or off uh, all the way up through my early part of the military career. And I'd say where it really started to accelerate was after I had graduated from college and got into industry. And that's where it really, you know, really kind of took off. I would have people ask me if I could, you know, like I would talk to a lot of the regional builders and developers would have me come out and take photos of site work and mm -hmm. bulldozers pushing dirt. To me, what I call the vanilla, you know, work that it, I don't see a lot of curb appeal on social media. It's just bread and butter. So I, I, I would put that probably in about the last 20 to 25 years that it really took off. That leads me to ask you what, as a photographer, we all have favorite subjects that we like to shoot. Mm -hmm. What would be your very first choice? What is the thing you like to take photos of 
make photos of? Well, of course, taking photos itself of anything that exists on Earth, as long as you have permissions to, you know, go on properties or if you can catch a shot somewhere, it's the shot itself. It's free. And I, I think that I, I like the water so much that I spend as much time as I can every year anywhere near the water, the beach or marshlands and places like that. So that stuff is readily available. You can take a picture, but it could be become a plain picture. It's going to be kind of hard to describe. But I, I always learned that when I took a shot, I didn't directly focus on the object I was trying to shoot. If that makes any sense, yeah, it makes to, total sure sense. Yeah, yeah. I, I try to create a field where I'm shooting across the field, and somewhere in that field is the object I'm trying to capture. Sometimes there is no object; it's just the you know sweeping picture. Uh, I, I do a lot with beach work. I generally get up. Um, I'm up before the sun even punches up on pre-dawn, and I'm setting up my gear to see what's going to happen and how it's going to unfold. But that's what I'm trying to do. That's that's the way I'm trying to do it. I'm really trying to get the light. I don't. I try to stay away from direct shooting into the light. Also, although there are times where you almost can't avoid it, but I, I really try as much as I can. Sometimes that flare from the sun is kind of nice. I noticed recently you made a post of a beach, and then there was two chairs there with the wind bellowing one of the yeah, back of the really chair. Beautiful. I thought that one was really quite special. And, you know, this is a podcast, so it's there's no video here for people to look at. But They can go able... to the Instagram, Mike's Instagram, and check yeah. it out too, though. What about photographing people? What are your thoughts on that? Well, it's not really for me. I know that sounds kind of selfish, but it really isn't. The, the thing I like about the general photography work that I'm doing you know, things are moving in fluid, but they're moving in fluid in, in space and time. It's not trying to get people to stand still, stand here, look look this way, look that way. You know, having indoor shots and things like that. And sometimes it's it's just very difficult for me. And I, I've had people ask me to do portrait work and stuff like that. It's I just haven't really you know sunk my teeth into that yet. Okay. I, I may at some point, but I, I pretty much stay. Somewhere within the realm that I'm in now, I'm, I'm trying to kind of evolve out in some little bit different directions, but it'll still be within what I'm shooting. And I did want to go back to that uh, beat shot. I, I wanted to be able in that beat shot to tell the story mm-hmm. of how stark a cold winter day is on the beach with nobody there. Yeah, I think you captured it quite well. You really did. You know, showing two empty beach chairs there that I guess... Nobody picked up and took back to wherever they belonged. And just the wind, I mean, the wind was really howling to the point that the sand was kind of blowing against you. It was cold. And I, I was really just trying to, you know, I took a number of shots at it to see what I could get from it. And mm-hmm. I think that shot there kind of picked up the, the quiet starkness of winter on the beach. And I like winter on the well, beach. Well, it also usually, shows the element of humans being there. So absolutely, that's important. So what do you prefer, Mike? Do you prefer black and white photography or do you prefer color photography? I like black and white. Black and white works because it's going to show more depth, more mm-hmm. texture, and more structure, whatever you're Whatever you're trying to take a shot of. Sometimes I'll plan night shoots. But I'll go into Washington D.C. and just plan night shoots because mm-hmm. you got drama, you know, on the on the mall by the Capitol, by the uh, museums, the, uh, any any of the federal buildings with that they themselves already have dramatic lighting. You have you know the white against the dark, and it's just the right texture. There's but, a lot of there's a lot of drama there. 
I have a quick question, quick answer from you. Mm-hmm. Do you use Photoshop? I use Lightroom, but only very Lightroom. limited. I, I, yeah, I don't. I usually check a photo for white balance and I'll kind of play with the highlights and the backlighting a little bit. But beyond that, I don't go into using presets or, you know, what I call over developing the photograph almost to the point where it's almost not realistic. I, I, I always kind of feel good about my photography work. Because it's just shooting, and I'm pretty much showing you what's in front of the lens. So. Yeah, it's clean. It's, it's, it's very, very clean. clean. And, and a lot of people take a crummy photograph, and then they mm-hmm. massage it with Lightroom and mm-hmm. other tricks that you can have available on your mm-hmm. cell phone. And mm-hmm. it just loses its authenticity, and I think it cheats the philosophy behind photography in the first place mm-hmm. is there you know was there any one person that you feel was your very best mentor somebody that mentored you well i didn't really have a lot of mentoring in photography per se and in, in, in life i would say as much or as little as anybody else but uh, i i have some people that, that i'll mention in photography rather mid-career in my life and then I would say the the one that mentored me to go for it and, and don't worry about taking the risk. You're going to, you're going to, you know, you'll drop, you'll fail, you'll have points of failures, but it's to get back up and keep going. It was my grandmother. Oh, okay. Mm, that's a good one. Yeah. That's a good one. Yeah. And she's right. <laughs> she's so right. She's right. <laughs> she encouraged me to go in the military. I, I went in the military young and said, don't worry about it. It'll all be good. You know, it'll work out and then my grandfather had been in the navy so the 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 navy was a preference and she supported it wholeheartedly where most of my other family members at the time kind of balked on the whole notion and Mm -hmm. you know she stayed in contact with me and i would also say that if i was to have a conversation with anybody these days to to go back and maybe review then versus now it would be her because she was always like 100% 100% supportive no matter what. That's really good to hear. And, you know, we've heard that before. It's about it, grandparents. About grandparents. Yeah. Grandparents mm-hmm. aren't your parents. And they, you know, they don't feel like they have to tell you what to eat and how to sit up straight and all that kind of stuff. Grandparents can, can and they also have more knowledge because of experience in their own lives, their own wisdom. Their own mm-hmm. wisdom. And it's I think it's always mm-hmm. really special when a grandparent takes the time to impart their wisdom onto their grandchildren. I think that's a a dynamic that we need a lot of in this world. Oh, I think so, too. And to add just to the answer to the question in total, there was one photographer that I liked to fish a lot. And there was a time where I was on the water constantly fishing. I'd take photographs, but back then it was really the essence of fishing. And one of the people that aligned with me that liked to fish and it was a really good photographer. His name was Daryl Hykus and he was a, a, a AP pool photographer and he worked at the White House under, I think, three or four administrations. And, you know, we go out and fish and he'd bring his camera here along because he wanted to get some good pictures. And I'd be, I'd be bugging him saying, look, I'm not going to fish until you teach me a little bit more about, you know, focal length. And, <laughs> good for I love you. It. <laughs> good for you. Know, the right camera set, you know, ISO settings. And he goes, you know, because to him, that was like happy hand, second nature. <clears throat> and he say, all right, well, well, we'll take five or 10 minutes. And the next thing you know, we'll, we'll have spent a half a day just picking up camera because he used to bring an army of cameras with him when, when we used to go on the water. 
And, you know, we stayed together and, and, and worked like that together for probably three years. Oh, excellent. Yeah, because he, wow. he would understand the editorial side of yeah, photography. definitely. And that you got to be prepared every second to pop up a shot when you need to. So all that tech, like you just mentioned, the, it all second nature to him. I mean, he doesn't have to think about ISO or F-stops or anything no. or focus. No, it's just no. like, uh, it just like happens. It's an extension of his mind, his hand. Yeah. So he would get upset with me and, and say, okay, so when are we going to fish? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll teach you to fish. I'll teach you to shoot. Yeah, I, 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 I took advantage of him. And some of the basic things you'll see in some of my work really are attributable to him in terms of that field of view shot. I guess some people call it rule thirds. Yeah, rule right. thirds. How to use the light and capture the light across the shot better and, and worse and shade lines towards the end of the day. Mike, as you know, that's the one thing that messes up all photographs is people's inability to understand composition. They'll have a nice image, but up in the left-hand corner, it's blowing out because there's a street light there that's glaring or something like that. Now, some people do that deliberately, and they call it their style. But in your case, your compositions are always really right on. And that's that's what separates somebody that's really good with a camera or not. I mean, you could be a little off on exposure, but composition is everything because that's what's most appealing to the eye. Mm-hmm. What were you going to say, Angie? Well, you know, I, I, I guess listening to Mike, I, I wonder what he would like to achieve in the next year. Like, do you have three things that you want to achieve in the next year? Well, I, I don't know if it's three. I mean, obviously. Uh, it can be one. <laughs> yeah, it, could be a half, it could be a half of one. Everybody's health is important to themselves. So I'd say probably a continue staying healthy. Yes. Oh, that's a good answer. I am trying to expand my base in opportunities that photography can lend itself to. I have an upcoming solo show at a winery over in Maryland next month, which Excellent. is oh, wonderful. It's, 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 it's going to be a good show. And even as a result of that, that particular vineyards already had inquiries from several locations to get more details about me and maybe having somebody come up during the event when I'm up there to do an artist introduction, which I'll be doing, I think, July 10th at the, uh, the Lynx Bridge uh, Vineyard in Thurmont, Maryland. Well, make sure you give us that information yeah, we can so put it in the show notes. Absolutely. That yeah. way everybody can click uh, on it and maybe maybe go to see you. Because I am really trying to kind of shift gears and, and make that transition at this point in my life to doing more and getting more, as Rod, you and I have talked several times, into the commercial photography. I mean, I, if I stop and put the brakes on everything that I'm doing right now, I know I can seek and, and receive work but I want to be able to have that blended into whatever else I'm doing so I can pick and choose what yeah, it's what a, I'm it's doing. a fine line. I know I had large studios and I was very successful as a commercial photographer and it allowed me to eat. It was it was good. I a lot of times I would meet photographers that were just doing art photography and they had a job like at a gas station or something. And in one way, I envied them because their photography was very pure, very clean, very artistic. And mine was certainly way more commercial. And I would go out and knock out some beauty shots periodically. But it's, you know, it's a fine line between wanting to make a living with a camera and also wanting to still be artistic with it. 
you've you've kind of accomplished a little bit of both there because you know you're very lucky in that. But I got kind of a, a tricky question, seeing how you are a creative person. Maybe you could tell our listeners in less than five words, what would you tell people that want to live more creatively? Don't restrict yourself. And I qualify that by saying don't restrict yourself. You're living creatively in the art sense. Don't block yourself from opening yourself up to being taking those steps necessary to to see if you if the creativity is there I, I think everybody's got it in them to do it but a lot of people but a lot of times get afraid to step up take that chance take the risk i don't think there's any downside to it so i would say allow yourself to be more open to from an art standpoint to be more creative whatever that art medium may be if it's art if it's life then you know how you're going through life and sometimes what directions you may have to change and refocus your life. And I think we all go through that as we, as we go through the various stages of life. I've known I've, I've had to, what I call retool a number of times in my life. So well, I really like the way you answered that because yeah. I mean, that's what our podcast is all about is celebrating what people love to do creatively. And you're certainly living that life. And what you just said is about people just jumping in there and making it happen. Yeah, true. Sure. And then also just not putting restrictions on yourself and, and mm-hmm. you know, and living life to the fullest. I think that's mm-hmm. the important part. Yeah, be creative. Well, yeah, I mean, there's going to be limits to it for everybody. I mean, right. you know, the, the, the top of the line, the National Geographic photographers, they get paid fairly good dollars to get on an airplane and go to very remote places. But, you know, they're they're at the very top of the food chain. But that's okay. You know, you, you don't have to be thwarted by that. You can just say, all right, I'm going to start here. I'm going to do this. I would encourage some basic fundamental learning of, of instruments and gadgets that are, would yeah. be part of your work. So you, when you get out in the field, you're not really trying to learn how to turn something off on or open a can of paint or something like that. Yeah. Very That's good. very true. Yeah. Where it becomes very instinctual unless, mm-hmm. you know, where you have to figure stuff out. So, yeah. On the job training. Yeah. I, I have literally been in the car driving when I'm intentionally going out to shoot a location where I know I'm, I've already pre-planned where I'm going to be on a certain day, a certain time. And I've stopped the car and just to get out of the car and take other shots that just pop up right in front of me. I've done it many times. Yeah. And some of the, some of those shots have been on Instagram. Yeah, um, those are it, they awesome. weren't planned. They're just right in front of you. We call that good shooting karma at that point, <laughs> yeah. right? <laughs> I, I guess. Yeah, yeah it's just so, something that gets so there. What do you have? Well, you know, I, I, I think it's time for us to ask you the question that we ask everyone, which is if you sit on a park bench and chat with anyone from the past, who would it be? Well, as I earlier said, I think it would be my grandmother. Okay. I could see that. Yeah, you, I could see you, that in you. You mentioned that earlier, and that makes a lot of sense. It really does. She she was a very wise woman, and definitely would be nice to have her back to talk again. She, you know, she was pretty much well grounded, and you know, she was a pleasure always to spend the time with her. When we were young, you don't recognize, you know, really what you're getting out mm-hmm. of something like that. And you know, she was taken from us. I mean, I was. Just had gotten out of the out of the Navy submarine service when she passed on. So oh, that, that was far too young. 
So yeah, for I sure. Agree on that. My goodness. You know, we're getting. You know, unfortunately, we're kind of getting to the point where we have to wrap this up. But Mike, I I really want to thank you for being our guest today, and and I know both the engine. I suspected you were going to be yeah. a very interesting guest, and you certainly did not let us down. I know that not everybody is into photography. A lot of people that listen to us are not into photography, but they're into creativity. And you had a lot of really nice things to say about being creative and living a creative life. I think you shared with us some really, really good information, and we really appreciate that. Yeah, thank you so much, Mike. I want to thank you both for having me on today. I know we've talked about it for a while, and I was glad to be here and to be able to you know, you know, impart some of the uh, philosophical parts of the conversation and some of the fun stuff. And I really appreciate everything you guys have done. I'm looking, looking forward to, you know, seeing more. You're so welcome. And I, I do want to let our listeners know that if you would like to know more about Mike, please visit the show guest tab on thoughtrowpodcast.com. And that way you can learn more about him and please connect with him on social media and his website. Yeah, and if you listen to this podcast, tell other people about the Thought Row podcast, but tell other people about what you may have learned so they can listen to this show about Mike's take on photography. It's very interesting, very personal, and very special. Yeah. But I, I want to thank you, Mike. Yeah, uh, thank you so thank much, you again. Mike. Oh, thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. Okay. It's been a pleasure. It's been All a right. pleasure to be here. Okay. okay. Take thank care. You. Bye-bye now. Bye-bye Bye. Now. Bye. I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. So it's bye for now from my husband Rod and I, wishing everyone a great day. 